are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our academic and professional backgrounds in criminology and medicine to bring you crime stories each week. I'm Chloe. And I'm Melina. Thank you for joining us for another week of true crime. Today, we continue our coverage into the Sandy Hook shootings. I think it's important to address the background of the shooter just to even attempt to understand how he could have become this monster. He was born in New Hampshire in 1992, and he did not speak until he was three. Chloe, what is that? A sign of delayed speaking can often be a warning sign of neurodivergence, namely autism spectrum disorder. If a child is demonstrating lack of speech at that point, typically professional early intervention would be recommended to evaluate for autism. Aside from the delay in speaking, he would get sensory overload and textures and sensations would bother him. He would smell things that weren't there. His books had to be photocopied so they didn't have any bright colors. Things would itch his skin. It was clear that he had sensory integration disorder and he did receive treatment in school, including speech and occupational therapy in kindergarten and first grade. In the pictures of the shooter online when he's a boy, in the early parts, like probably up until like the age of seven or eight like he's happy looking he's cheerful and his father even said that he was pretty cheerful he said he loved sandy hook and he was very close with his father apparently they would play for hours and they really bonded at that point in their lives peter lanza said about him always thinking differently just a normal little weird kid nancy was working a high paying powerful job up until the shooter was born, and then she dedicated her life, like I discussed in the first part, to being a stay-at-home mom and the shooter's caregiver. At a certain point, as he grew into adolescence, he showed difficulty in displaying regular emotions. Apparently, he was in a school play, and in an email, Nancy wrote, Adam has taken it very seriously, even practicing facial expressions in the mirror. Like, to me, that doesn't sound typical that you have to practice facial expressions in the mirror. Like I get that people want to make sure that they look right, but that kind of sounds like he was practicing pretending like he had emotions. When the shooter was reaching puberty age in fifth grade, the shooter apparently said that he did not think highly of himself and believed that everyone else in the world deserved more than he did. He also partnered up with a kid in his class and wrote a story called The Big Book of Granny. And it's about a lady with a cane that is secretly a gun that kills people. That's it's sort of like Columbine, like the disturbing stories that are kind of just brushed off as creative writing pieces. And I know that sometimes people can write dark stories, but then I guess the line is sort of hard to define. One of the characters in this book said, I like hurting people, especially children. He got in trouble for trying to sell the book at school. When the shooter was nine, Peter and Nancy separated. He didn't seem upset about this. Plenty of children of divorce, they identified this moment as 
an extremely traumatizing, life-changing moment. But when asked how he felt about it to a psychiatrist at the time, he said that his parents were as irritating to each other as they were to him. Sure. It sounds very logical. Like, I feel like that I would come up with that assumption now or formula of thinking, but at nine years old, it seemed like he had a empathy deficit for sure. I wouldn't really describe that as a lack of empathy because there's nobody who he's not empathizing with. I would say it's demonstrative of a lack of range of normal emotion. Most children in that position would be pretty upset, but he just seemed irritated and inconvenienced. Peter moved to Stanford where he stayed up until 2012 when the shooting occurred. So that was over an hour from Newtown, but he apparently would visit his sons every single weekend. Peter described his son as talkative and engaged and excited. They would talk about history and politics, and they bonded over a mutual interest in wars and possibly the shooter joining the military someday. There was a time where the shooter had called into a radio station where he compared spree shooters or mass shooters to what happened to Travis the Chimp, who was a domesticated chimpanzee who lived in Stamford, Connecticut with his family. In 2009, he basically lost it and ripped his neighbor's face off and like her hands and everything. And it was just like a disaster. And people were like, it's because he was treated like a human being when he was actually a wild animal. And he was wearing human clothes and he was taking Xanax, like he had an anxiety disorder and he was obese. And basically what the shooter was trying to say was that it was society's fault about what happened to Travis. And he was trying to compare that and make a parallel to mass shooters before he did this. Can you say more about this radio show call? Because, of course, when I hear about an overbearing mother who is feeding into everything their little baby wants, it, of course, reminds me of his situation. So what exactly was he comparing the dynamic to? Which mass shooters? And how was society to blame? The call happened on December 20th, 2011, so a little less than a year before his death. It's interesting that you said that everything was like given to him, like he didn't have any expectations to provide. That's interesting because it is sort of like him. But I think that his point was is that because of being treated like a human and not an animal like he was, that he almost resembled or had the impulse control of a, as he referred it, a mentally handicapped child. And that one day that it was just going to be inevitable that he was going to burst and break out in an incredibly violent act. We can observe a human family raising a human child, and I'm sure that even you have trouble intuitively seeing it as something unnatural. But when we see a chimp in that position, we know there's something profoundly wrong with that situation. And it's easy to say there's something wrong with it simply because it's a chimp. But what's the real difference between us and our closest relatives? Travis wasn't an untamed monster at all. He wasn't just feigning domestication. He was civilized. He was able to integrate into society. He was a chimp actor when he was younger. It seems like everyone who knew him said how shocked they were that Travis had been so savage because they knew him as a sweet child. And there were two isolated incidents early in his life when he acted aggressively, but summarizing them would take too long. So basically, I'll just say that he didn't act really any differently than a human child would. And those people who would use that as an indictment against having chimps live as humans, in a way, he blames the owners of the chimp because 
he said that she should have just done what the chimp wanted. He wanted to go on a drive and she said no. So that's why. So it's her fault. But he said that his attack can be seen entirely parallel to the attacks and random acts of violence that you bring up on your show every week committed by humans, which the mainstream also has no explanation for and actual humans. I just don't think it would be such a stretch to say that he very well could have been a teenage mall shooter or something like that. Things seem to be going well in the shooter's life until he entered middle school. The change of the structure of middle school proved very difficult for him. In middle school, you switch classes, and that was very destabilizing for him, and it caused sensory overload. He couldn't concentrate because of certain stimuli, such as colored images in his textbook. He was unable to concentrate in school on his coursework, and he couldn't sleep. His eye contact and his social graces, whatever he had, were dwindling. For somebody's personality and behavior to change this much is that they experience something traumatic. I guess somebody could have hurt him and he never told anybody or something like that, but that's entirely speculation. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Trauma could be a possibility in his change in behavior or at the very least the escalation of some of his disruptive symptoms such as the sensory overload. I also think puberty has something to do with it. I think the hormonal changes that occur can change how certain symptoms present. I also think early adolescence is commonly the age of onset for many mental disorders. And I think that his autism and sensory integration issues masked personality issues that he had. I think when you have autism and you have that muted range of emotion and poor social graces as compared to neurotypical people and all of the other things that come with it, It can hide the symptoms of other things that present the same way or can present the same way, such as antisocial personality disorder, which, in hindsight, Adam Lanza most certainly had given his conduct. The shooter apparently never accepted his diagnosis while his parents were overjoyed almost. I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but I feel like that if I were them, I would be relieved that what was going on with their son was identified and that they can actually act on it and do a treatment plan and possibly bring in behavioral interventionist. They could actually start to work on the issues that they were having, but he wouldn't accept it. And he thought that, you know, it's actually what caused the falling out between the father and son is that the shooter wanted to take like a full plus course load. Like, I think he wanted to take like four or five classes and Peter was like, let's maybe take it slow at like two. And that was a huge trigger for the shooter because it's like, what? Like, I'm not autistic. I'm like everybody else. But it's true that he couldn't handle it. Like, he wasn't wrong, but that was the end of their relationship. To me, ending his relationship with his father in response to his father suggesting that he couldn't handle a full course load like everybody else is extremely significant as to what his mindset was then and what it was at the time of the shooting. I think because of all of the issues the shooter faced interpersonally, academically, emotionally, 
and just in general day to day because of his diagnoses and because of the things that he was facing that he wasn't even diagnosed with. With all of these barriers, I think more and more he was having to accept that he wasn't going to find success in the conventional way like many of his peers were going to be able to. Because of his limitations, he probably wasn't going to be able to graduate college and make it into the workforce. A common source of these panic attacks seemed to be when he felt inadequate or that he couldn't keep up. He didn't want to feel stupid or behind or that he wasn't capable of leading a life just like everybody else. But when he couldn't keep up with content in a course such as German, he just cried and cried and cried and cried to his mother about it because he was so despondent that he wasn't capable. And this school of thought strain theory in criminology asserts that when these people can't succeed in conventional ways, such as going to college, getting a job, making money, having a family, it didn't seem like, at least in his point of view, could do any of those things. And so they try to find a way to be successful through unconventional means. And my opinion is that the shooter wanted to be the most famously vicious and horrific human in the world. He wanted to do the worst thing that's ever been done because that is, in his mind, succeeding at something. He has succeeded in becoming famous as the worst human alive. If you can't be the best human, if you can't contribute to this world, if you can't be independent, in his mind, there was no other way to be significant in this world, to be successful. To target children, I feel it was a part of the shock value of it all because it made it so it wasn't just like every other school shooting. And for somebody that was so isolated, it's like he wanted to be a part of this list of school shooters that he admired for feeling like you aren't like everybody else. I'm sure he found things that he could relate to. We talked about incels in our last episodes about the Columbine massacre. Do you think this shooter in the Sandy Hook shootings was an incel? Do you have any opinions about his sexuality, any paraphilias in general? For such a person that was so mysterious, it's really hard to say. Like He certainly never dated. He certainly never expressed interest in a significant other. And we know that people on the autism spectrum, they're not incapable of being attracted to other people and having crushes. Like maybe it doesn't look as traditional, but just the idea that he targeted children makes me feel like he hated children. Did he search for child sexual abuse material on his computer? Interesting you ask. Some of his hard drives and files were destroyed, but some of them were recovered and there was one I think sort of sympathizing with pedophiles there was no child pornography but I believe that he wrote a story about a child and a, an adult man being in a relationship and that it was like a natural thing in my opinion that's cause to believe that he at the very least had some sort of curiosity or had pedophilic thoughts at the very least he was interested in the phenomenon if not experiencing those feelings himself. And psychopathic killers often will target 
the object of their sexual desires. That's not something that's unheard of. Of course, there was no allegation of any sexual undertones or overtones in this crime. Another theory about why he targeted children could be that elementary school was when he was last happy and normal. He, in elementary school, was on the road to conventional success like the rest of his class. It wasn't until middle school where things started to become problematic. He couldn't succeed normally, so neither could these children. Peter thinks that Nancy was shot four times, one for each person in the family, the two boys and the parents. He didn't really say why he thinks like that. But what's funny about him is that in the New Yorker article, The Reckoning, which I highly recommend, it said nothing bothered him more than speculation. But it kind of sounds to me that the four shots, one for each person was speculation. But I feel like I'll never really know why he killed his mom because he just seemed to hate her. And it may- and I don't understand why. Um, I think that maybe towards the end, she was also trying to have a life. That night that she came home, she came home from a trip to, um, I think, New Hampshire just to sort of do her own thing and maybe have a break and see some friends. Like she wanted to have a life. She was honestly like a beautiful woman who was smart and I think wanted to live her life at a certain point. And maybe the shooter sensed that and he was like, I'm going to be sent to an institution, which he, you know, should have been. Maybe he was sort of like the jig is up. And now my my life is over as I know it. One of the psychiatrists who saw him as a child hit the nail on the head. This is a quote from The Reckoning. The psychiatrist King was concerned that Adam's parents seemed to worry primarily about his schooling and said that it was more urgent to address how to accommodate Adam's severe social disabilities in a way that would permit him to be around peers. King saw significant risk to Adam in creating, even with the best of intentions, a prosthetic environment which spares him from having to encounter other students or to work to overcome his social difficulties. He too noticed that Nancy was becoming like a prisoner in her own house. I feel like that he really saw what was going on and saw that it was just going to get worse. A different provider said, I told him he's living in a box right now and the box will only get smaller over time if he doesn't get some treatment. 